0: You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. I am a film buff. I love movies. Um, I have a couple guys here that I go with on a pretty regular basis, and we're like, we're opening night kind of people. Um, it used to be that they would have 1201 showings. So like on opening day, midnight, one minute, and I was in line. I was there. I was that guy. Luckily, the film industry has changed as I've aged because I don't know if I can handle the, the midnight showings. I went to a, a late showing for a movie earlier this week and I had to get a cup of coffee just to stay up. for. And it was like the 11 showings, so not even like the 1201. But I am a film junkie and I love... Movies. So much so that I had a really hard time deciding what movie to speak about this morning. So if you don't like the one I chose, I didn't choose it. I actually let the teenagers do that for me. I gave them a list of like six, and this is the one they voted for. So this morning as we wrap up our At The Movie series, we're actually going to be talking about the movie Avengers Infinity War. If you haven't seen this movie, it was huge this summer. This summer is maybe a stretch. It started early in the spring. It's a summer blockbuster, but they moved the the release date up really early. And so far, worldwide, Avengers has made $2 billion. With a B, $2 billion. That's a ton of money. That's a whole lot of money. That pushes it uh, into the top five money-making films of all time It is a huge success for Disney and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I don't know about you, but I I love these Marvel movies, these superhero movies. They're exciting, they're big, they're fun, they're bright. Uh, We get to see some characters that were some of my childhood favorites on screen for the first time. And I remember if you had told 10-year-old me that we'd be seeing an Avengers movie that would actually look good and would be awesome and we'd actually get to experience what it was like, I would have told you you were crazy because there was no way that they could have pulled off something this amazing. But in the last 10 years, they have put together a universe of films that are just breathtaking. They're big, and the universe is expansive. And this installment that we're going to be talking about today, Avengers Infinity War, is a really good film for a couple of reasons. But I think the main reason it ends up being a decent film is because it has a great villain. And I think that if you're going to have a movie, especially a hero movie, a superhero movie, a lot of it relies on the quality of the villain. And the villain for Avengers Infinity War is Thanos. They've alluded to, to Thanos kind of being behind the scenes, but the first time we actually saw him uh, was at the end of Thor in the post credit scene. And he's been sort of this sinister figure that's behind a lot of what's happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, But what's really interesting about Thanos uh, is where this character comes from, his origin story. I promised, especially all the teenagers, I wouldn't spoil anything about the movie today. Um, So this will be a spoiler-free zone. We're going to talk a lot about uh, Thanos as a character in the comics and not necessarily his role in this movie. But Thanos in the comics has been a character that's obsessed with death. In the Marvel Universe, uh, death was actually a, a person, a figure. And Thanos spent most of his energy trying to appease death. Thanos' name actually comes from the Greek word for death, Thanatos. And and Thanos is this character who's constantly obsessed with death as this thing that he wants to control, wants to persuade, wants to make happy, that he wants to use to his advantage. And I think one of the things that makes him a great villain is that we look at Thanos and he embodies something that is a universal fear. When we think about death, death is something we're all afraid of on some level. And we have these fears, these avoidances, these ways we shape our lives that are based on us trying to avoid death. And the reason why death is such a universal fear is because death is one of the few things in life that is universal. Death is something that everyone has experienced on some level, and that one day, ultimately, we will all experience. And so when we see a figure like Thanos, a character who's obsessed with death, who makes death their mission, we are fearful of that character because we can relate to and we have this emotional response to the thing that they are obsessed with. When I was thinking about how to to shape a sermon on Avengers Infinity War, I was reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote about death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 we're going to look at verses 54-58 this morning. And we're going to spend just some time going through and pulling out some of the different words and focusing on some of the different phrases here. But I'm going to read to you first, 1 Corinthians 15, 54-58. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain." I want to first talk about the word then. We live in an instant culture. I don't know if you've noticed over the last couple of years, it used to be when you wanted to watch a streaming show, you had to, after one episode was done, go back to the menu and start the next one. And then they started this thing where there was a countdown. In 20 seconds, your next video will load. And I don't know if you ever noticed, but the time has gotten shorter, right? And now they have a feature where you can skip that stuff. And then, recently, Netflix added this, and I didn't think I was going to use it at first, but you can skip the intro and skip the recap, right? Because when we want something, we want it now. When we want to see something, we want to see it now. I think of how many of us, when we think about eating dinner, oh, I could cook something, or, right? And we go for the instant route. And... Honestly, if we were like really assessing it when we cook something, what we really mean is like popping things in the microwave for most of us. But that's not even instant enough for us anymore. We live in an instant culture where we want instant gratification, but some things are worth waiting for. Fresh baked cookies. I don't know if you've ever had to wait for fresh baked cookies, but it's worth the wait. There's nothing better in life than the smell that starts to fill the house. The gooey center when they're still warm. And and you know, there's that perfect moment where they've been out of the oven just long enough that they won't obliterate your mouth. But they're still hot and gooey and running all over the place. The fresh baked cookie is worth the wait. But one of the things that I think helps with the wait is the the taste you get beforehand. Maybe, I know sometimes in in our culture we're a little afraid of eating raw cookie dough anymore. You're missing out. (laughs) I still remember whenever my mom would start the the process of making fresh-baked chocolate chip cookies, you would get a taste. Just enough sugar and chocolate to get like the the taste buds going, get you excited about what was coming so the anticipation would build. You knew that something was great. And it was enough to just hold you over so that you could actually survive. When we look at the idea of these things that Paul was promising in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about the then. These aren't things that necessarily are fully experienced now. Earlier in the chapter, if you were looking at verses 20 through 33, 23, he talks about this idea of the first fruits. In the Old Testament, the first fruits was an offering that the Jewish people would offer. When the first of their crops would come in, they would make a sacrifice from that. And it was anticipation that God was going to continue to bless them with more crops. And he says, Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus' resurrection and what it does for the Christian life is like the first fruits offering. We get a taste of it, but we know that there's more coming. He goes on to talk about the planting of a seed in verses 35 through 44. And the planting of a seed, if you've ever gardened, you know you put a kernel in the ground, you water it, you tend to it, and you anticipate that something productive, something life-giving, something beautiful is going to come in the future because you have this seed that you've nurtured and watered and cared for. It's just this kernel of something of potential. Of what's to come. And we find out here in 1 Corinthians 15 that the resurrection of Jesus is those things for us it's the taste of raw cookie dough, it's the first fruits offering, it's the seed, the anticipation, knowing that some things are worth waiting for, that there's a then coming when something amazing is going to be fully realized. But now we have just a glimpse of it. The second word I want to look at this morning is victory. Victory. If you look at verses 54 through 55 and then in 57, we see this word occurring here. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The word for victory here is an interesting word. Uh, It's the word where the, the name Nike comes from. It's Nikos. And it sometimes means to be... Utterly vanquished. I don't know if you've ever experienced defeat, like on a grand scale. I was at CIY with the teens the other week, and one of the things that they do at CIY is they have these tournaments that you can sign up for, these different events. And they're usually pretty fun, fairly casual, and you'll usually have a team or two who's really serious about the sport. So, like three on three basketball, there's the one team with all the tall kids. And they, you know, and they go in and win the tournament. But everyone else just kind of has fun. Dodgeball. We entered two teams into the dodgeball tournament. But there was one tournament that our youth group decided to sign up for this year that we'd never done before. It was Ultimate Frisbee. And when I think about Ultimate Frisbee, I think, like, that's a casual sport. that We could just walk out and play and have a good time. So I was like, yeah, guys, let's go. I'll I'll even play with you. We'll go have fun. We'll play some Ultimate Frisbee. So we walk onto the field and there was some confusion about the schedule so we were a few minutes late and we had to come out and just go on to the field. And I look at the other side at our opponents. And it's a group of grown men. I mean beards, mustaches, testosterone. These guys had worked out and prepared for ultimate frisbee like it was the Olympics. It was, it was serious, I knew it was serious at this point. Um, we, we kicked off, we tossed the Frisbee, and I, I ran down the field. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's this like 22-year-old guy, and he's just like, he's on me. I'm wearing him like, a, he's just on me. And I was like, hey man, you're too young and too athletic to be guarding me. And this is what he whispered to me. I'm sorry, I'm not the captain, you're my assignment. And I was like... <laughs> I was not prepared for this. (laughs) To me, ultimate Frisbee was, hey, we tossed the Frisbee. We got crushed. I don't know what the final score was. Everyone stopped counting. It was a mercy kill. We were done in like five minutes. When we walked off the field, I knew what utter defeat felt like. I knew what it felt like to be vanquished. If you've seen the movie Avengers Infinity War you know that the movie is about heroes facing what seems like inevitable defeat at the hands of a character who is bent on their death and destruction. It's about them facing this sort of unstoppable force, grown men playing ultimate frisbee. But what's beautiful about what Paul says here about death, about the figure of death, is that death has been swallowed up by victory? That this villain, this universal villain who's out for destruction, has been swallowed up by victory. Third word I want to look at this morning is the word gives. There's probably nothing more beautiful in life than a gift. And we can all think about gifts that we've been given. When I think about um, gifts in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I can th- start thinking about different characters uh, and where their superpowers come from. Uh, there's a lot of different sources for superpowers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're just going to compare two. Uh, the first one is Iron Man. Uh, who knows what Iron Man's superpower is? Yeah. yeah <laughs> he's rich. <laughs> like. He's rich and intelligent. That's his superpower. Uh, Without his suit, without his money, without his intelligence, he doesn't actually have a superpower. But we have another character, Spider-Man. And where does his come from? Yeah, a radioactive spider bit him. All right, I know he probably, when he got bit by that spider, wasn't thinking it was a gift. But he got something that he didn't earn. And it changed him. And I think for a lot of Christians, when we think about what it looks like to follow Jesus, we try to do it with our own merits, our own success, our own intelligence. And we're trying to live out the Iron Man story. And I think the Christian story is the Spider-Man story. The Christian story is the story of God coming in and doing something transformative in our lives that we are incapable of doing ourselves. It is the radioactive spider biting us and creating in us something beautiful and big and powerful. When we read here in 1 Corinthians 15, when it talks about this idea of gives, verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice there where this victory comes from. It's not through our own efforts, through our own merits, because we're so awesome or intelligent or because we have all of the right resources. No, it's through Jesus Christ. It's a gift. It is not earned. It is something that is bestowed upon us. The fourth word I want to look at this morning is the word B, B-E. Verse 58 says this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We are called to be certain characteristics, certain temperaments, certain personality types. And specifically, here, Paul says that in response to the victory we've been given through Jesus, we are to be steadfast and immovable. Steadfast and immovable. Think about the person you know in life who's consistent. They're the same person, whether they're at church on Sunday morning, or they're at work, or they're at home with their kids, or they're out in the community, or they're by themselves on the lake fishing and no one's around. They're consistent. They're steadfast. They're immovable. Jesus said to let your yes be yes and your no be no. There's this idea that Christians, Christ followers, are supposed to be people who are consistent. We're honest, and we're people of integrity. And here, what Paul says is in response to the victory that's been given to us in Jesus, we are supposed to be consistent. We're supposed to be steadfast and immovable. And who we are drives what we do, not the other way around. We do the work of the Lord. Not because we're guilted into it, not because we feel obligated to it, not even because we're so awesome at it, but we do the work of the Lord because of who God has made us to be. God has made us to be steadfast and immovable. Therefore, we are able to do the work of the Lord. I like the way the message translates the last half of this verse. It says this, Throw yourself into the work of the Master confident that nothing you do for Him is a waste of your time or effort. Throw yourself into the work of the Master. Why? Because you want to earn something? No. You've already been given the victory. Why? Because you're so awesome? No. Because Jesus has already done the work for you. Jesus accomplished through the resurrection, what we were never able to accomplish. He conquered death. The villain, Thanos, who's out to destroy the universe, who wants death and destruction, who was just seeking the kind of power that can wipe us all out. That villain has no power over yours and my life. And as a result... As a result of what God has already begun to do in us and will complete later on, as a result of the victory that is ours in Jesus, as a result of what God has gifted us, as a result of what God has called us to be, we can do the work of the Lord and we can throw ourselves wholeheartedly into it. I've done work reluctantly. Anyone else? There's been times where there's a task in front of me, and I do it, but man, I really don't want to. And we know what the results that look like. But because of what God has done in our lives, because of the victory God has provided us, we can confidently throw our whole selves into God's work. And even when our efforts seem like there's nothing to it, And when it seems like we're facing inevitable defeat, we know that the work of the Lord is not in vain. Whether that work be hanging out with kids at VBS, staying after to pick up popcorn after an event, holding someone's hand when they're going through a divorce, praying with someone who's on their deathbed, comforting a family who's going through a tragedy or a loss, giving of your time and energy and resources to serve our community. The work of the Lord is not in vain. And we are confident to throw our whole selves into it because we know that God can take these things and do so much more with them than we could ever imagine. Why do we like superhero stories? I think that we look at them and we see what we wish we could be. And today's superhero stories, the superheroes are full of flaws. They're full of brokenness. They lose. And we relate to that, and we're thankful that we have these images, these pictures of superheroes who overcome defeat and face real-life tragedy. But at the end of the day, we want heroes who succeed, who do the things that we don't think we can do ourselves. Who face the obstacles that we think aren't faceable? Hopefully, these stories challenge us to live courageously instead of allowing us to live vicariously through them. Because God is calling his people to confidently throw themselves into the work of the master. I think of it like this Christians are supposed to live like you've already won, even when you feel like you're losing. We're supposed to live like we've already won because we know that Jesus has given us the victory that we can never have for ourselves. I don't know what obstacle you're facing in life. I don't know what villains are in your path, but I do know that Jesus has already conquered them. And that he's calling us to join in the work that he's already doing.